Welcome to today's Triple Z. The Triple Z Podcast is a daily program that you can use to help you fall asleep each night. Just turn down the volume, lay back, relax, and enjoy as you fall asleep. The Life and Achievements of Don Quixote de la Mancha is a Spanish epic novel by Miguel de Cervantes. Originally published in two parts, in 1605 and 1615, its full title is The Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha. A founding work of Western literature, it is often labeled as the first modern novel and one of the greatest works ever written. Don Quixote is also one of the most translated books in the world. If you enjoy our program, Please be sure to write us a review on your podcast platform and share us with a friend. You both might sleep just a little better at night. Our website is triple Z, that's three Z's dot media. You can also like and share our content on Facebook or our Instagram account ZZZ Media Podcast. Music for today's episode was provided by the Sleep Channel on Spotify. Chapter 46 Continuation again of the adventure of the Knight of the Wood Much conversation passed between the two knights. Among other things, he of the wood said to Don Quixote, In fact, Sir Knight, I must confess that, by destiny, or rather by choice, I became enamored of the peerless Casildia de Vandelia, peerless I call her, because she is without her peer either in rank, beauty, or form. Casildia repaid my honorable and virtuous passion by employing me as Hercules was employed by his stepmother in many and various perils, promising me, at the end of each of them, that the next should crown my hopes, but, alas. She still goes on, adding link after link to the chain of my labors, insomuch that they are now countless, nor can I tell when they are to cease, and my tender wishes be gratified. One time she commanded me to go and challenge Geralda, the famous giantess of Seville, who is as stout and strong as if she were made of brass, and, though never stirring from one spot, is the most changeable and unsteady woman in the world. I came, I saw, I conquered, I made her stand still and fixed her to a point, for, during a whole week, no wind blew but from the north. Another time she commanded me to weigh those ancient statues, the fierce bulls of Gisando, an enterprise better suited to a porter than a knight. Another time she commanded me to plunge headlong into Cabra's cave, direful mandate, and bring her a particular detail of all that lies enclosed within its dark abyss. I stopped the motion of the Geralda, I weighed the bulls of Gisando, I plunged headlong into the cavern of Cabra and brought to light its hidden secrets, yet still my hopes are dead. In short, she has now commanded me to travel over all the provinces of Spain and compel every knight whom I meet to confess that in beauty she excels all others now in existence and that I am the most valiant and the most enamored knight in the universe. In obedience to this command, I have already traversed the greatest part of Spain 
and have vanquished diverse knights who have had the presumption to contradict me. But what I value myself most upon is having vanquished in single combat that renowned knight Don Quixote de la Mancha and made him confess that my Casildia is more beautiful than his Dulcinea, and I reckon that, in this conquest alone, I have vanquished all the knights in the world, for this Don Quixote has conquered them all, and I, having overcome him, his glory, his fame, and his honor, are, consequently transferred to me. All the innumerable exploits of the said Don Quixote I therefore consider as already mine and placed to my account. Don Quixote was amazed at the assertions of the Knight of the Wood and had been every moment at the point of giving him the lie, but he restrained himself that he might convict him of falsehood from his own mouth and therefore he said, very calmly, that you may have vanquished, Sir Knight, most of the Knights Errant of Spain or even of the whole world, I will not dispute, but that you have conquered Don Quixote de la Mancha, I have much reason to doubt. Someone resembling him, I allow, it might have been, though, in truth, I believe there are not many like him. How say you? cried he of the wood, as sure as I am here alone, I fought with Don Quixote, vanquished him, and made him surrender to me. He is a man of an erect figure, withered face, long and meager limbs, grizzle-haired, hawk-nosed, with large black mustachios, and styles himself the knight of the sorrowful figure. The name of his squire is Sancho Panza, he oppresses the back and governs the reins of a famous steed called Rosinante in a word, the mistress of his thoughts is one Dulcinea del Toboso, formerly called Aldonza Lorenzo, as my Casildia being of Andalusia, is now distinguished by the name of Casildia de Vandelia. And now, if I have not sufficiently proved what I have said, here is my sword, which shall make incredulity itself believe. Softly, Sir Knight, said Don Quixote, and hear what I have to say. You must know that this Don Quixote you speak of is the dearest friend I have in the world, insomuch that he is as it were, another self, and, notwithstanding the very accurate description you have given of him, I am convinced, by the evidence of my senses, that you have never subdued him. It is, indeed, possible that, as he is continually persecuted by enchanters, someone of these may have assumed his shape and suffered himself to be vanquished in order to defraud him of the fame which his exalted feats of chivalry have acquired him over the whole face of the earth. A proof of their malice occurred but a few days since, when they transformed the figure and face of the beautiful Dulcinea del Toboso into the form of a mean rustic wench. And now if, after all, you doubt the truth of what I say, Behold the true Don Quixote himself before you, ready to convince you of your error by force of arms, on foot or on horseback, or in whatever manner you please. He then rose up, and grasping his sword, awaited the determination of the Knight of the Wood, who very calmly said in reply, A good paymaster wants no pledge, he who could vanquish Senior Don Quixote under transformation may well hope to make him yield in his proper person. But as knights errant should by no means perform their feats in the dark, 
like robbers and ruffians, let us wait for daylight, that the sun may witness our exploits, and let the condition of our combat be, that the conquered shall remain entirely at the mercy and disposal of the conqueror, provided that he require nothing of him but what a knight may with honor submit to. Don Quixote having expressed himself entirely satisfied with these conditions, they went to seek their squires, whom they found snoring in the very same posture as that in which sleep had first surprised them. They were soon awakened by their masters and ordered to prepare the steeds so that they might be ready at sunrise for a single combat. At this intelligence Sancho was thunderstruck and ready to swoon away with fear for his master from what he had been told by the squire of the wood of his knight's prowess. Both the squires, however, without saying a word, went to seek their cattle and the three horses in Dapple were found all very sociably together. You must understand, brother, said the squire of the wood to Sancho, that it is not the custom in Andalusia for the seconds to stand idle with their arms folded while their principals are engaged in combat. So this is to give you notice that, while our masters are at it, we must fight too, and make splinters of one another. This custom, senior squire, answered Sancho, may pass among ruffians, but among the squires of knights errant no such practice is thought of, at least I have not heard my master talk of any such custom, and he knows by heart all the laws of knight errantry. But supposing there is any such law, I shall not obey it. I would rather pay the penalty laid upon such peaceable squires, which, I dare say, cannot be above a couple of pounds of wax, and that will cost me less money than plasters to cure a broken head. Besides, how can I fight when I have got no sword and never had one in my life? I know a remedy for that, said he of the wood. Here are a couple of linen bags of the same size. You shall take one and I the other, and so, with equal weapons, we will have about at bag blows. With all my heart, answered Sancho, for such a battle will only dust our jackets. It must not be quite so either, replied the other, for, lest the wind should blow them aside, we must put in them half a dozen clean and smooth pebbles of equal weight, and thus we may brush one another without much harm or damage. But I tell you what, master, said Sancho, though they should be filled with balls of raw silk, I shall not fight. Let our masters fight, but let us drink and live, for time takes care to rid us of our lives without our seeking ways to go before our appointed term and season. Nay, replied he of the wood, do let us fight, if it be but for half an hour. No, no, answered Sancho, I shall not be so rude nor ungrateful as to have any quarrel with a gentleman after eating and drinking with him. Besides, who can set about dry fighting without being provoked to it? If that be all, quoth he of the wood, I can easily manage it, for before we begin our fight, I will come up and just give you three or four handsome cuffs, which will lay you flat at my feet and awaken your collar though it slept sounder than a dormouse. Against that trick, answered Sancho, I have another not a whit behind it, which is to take a good cudgel 
and before you come near enough to awaken my collar, I will bastinado yours into so sound a sleep that it shall never awake but in another world. Let me tell you, I am not a man to suffer my face to be handled, so let everyone look to the arrow, though the safest way would be to let that same collar sleep on for one man knows not what another can do, and some people go out for wool and come home shorn. In all times, God blessed the peacemakers and cursed the peacebreakers. If a baited cat turns into a lion, there is no knowing what I, that am a man, may turn into, and therefore I warn you, Master Squire, that all the damage and mischief that may follow from our quarrel must be placed to your account. Agreed, replied he of the wood, when daylight arrives, we shall see what is to be done. And now a thousand sorts of birds, glittering in their gay attire, began to chirp and warble in the trees, and in a variety of joyous notes seemed to hail the blushing Aurora, who now displayed her rising beauties from the bright arcades and balconies of the east, and gently shook from her locks a shower of liquid pearls, sprinkling that reviving treasure over all vegetation. The willows distilled their delicious manna, the fountains smiled, the brooks murmured, the woods and meads rejoiced at her approach. But scarcely had hill and dale received the welcome light of day, and objects become visible, when the first thing that presented itself to the eyes of Sancho Panza was the squire of the wood's nose, which was so large that it almost overshadowed his whole body. Its magnitude was indeed extraordinary, it was moreover a hawk nose, full of warts and carbuncles, of the color of a mulberry, and hanging two fingers breadth below his mouth. The size, the color, the carbuncles, and the crookedness produced such a countenance of horror that Sancho, at sight thereof, began to tremble from head to foot, and he resolved within himself to take two hundred cuffs before he would be provoked to attack such a hobgoblin. Don Quixote also surveyed his antagonist, but, the beaver of his helmet being down, his face was concealed. It was evident, however, that he was a strong-made man, not very tall, and that over his armor he wore a kind of surtout or loose coat, apparently of the finest gold cloth, besprinkled with little moons of polished glass, which made a very gay and shining appearance. A large plume of feathers, green, yellow, and white, waved above his helmet. His lance, which was leaning against a tree, was very large and thick, and headed with pointed steel above a span long. All these circumstances Don Quixote attentively marked, and inferred from appearances that he was a very potent knight, but he was not therefore daunted, like Sancho Panza. On the contrary, with a gallant spirit, he said to the Knight of the Mirrors, Sir Knight, if your eagerness for combat has not exhausted your courtesy, I entreat you to lift up your beaver a little, that I may see whether your countenance corresponds with your gallant demeanor. Whether vanquished or victorious in this enterprise, Sir Knight, answered he of the mirrors, you will have time and leisure enough for seeing me, and if I comply not now with your request, it is because I think it would be an indignity to the beauteous Casildia de Vandelia to lose any time in forcing you to make the confession required. However, 
While we are mounting our horses, said Don Quixote, you can tell me whether I resemble that Don Quixote whom you said you had vanquished. As like as one egg is to another, replied he of the mirrors, though, as you say you are persecuted by enchanters, I dare not affirm that you are actually the same person. I am satisfied that you acknowledge you may be deceived, said Don Quixote, however, to remove all doubt, let us to horse, and in less time than you would have spent in raising your beaver, if God, my mistress, and my arm avail me, I will see your face, and you shall be convinced I am not the vanquished Don Quixote. They now mounted without more words, and Don Quixote wheeled Rosinante about to take sufficient ground for the encounter, while the other knight did the same, but before Don Quixote had gone twenty paces, he heard himself called by his opponent, who, meeting him halfway, said, Remember, Sir Knight, our agreement, which is, that the conquered shall remain at the discretion of the conqueror. I know it, answered Don Quixote, provided that which is imposed shall not transgress the laws of chivalry. Certainly, answered he of the mirrors. At this juncture the squire's strange nose presented itself to Don Quixote's sight, who was no less struck than Sancho, insomuch that he looked upon him as a monster or some creature of a new species. Sancho, seeing his master set forth to take his career, would not stay alone with long nose, lest perchance he should get a fillip from that dreadful snout which would level him to the ground either by force or fright. So he ran after his master, holding by the stirrup leather, and when he thought it was nearly time for him to face about, I beseech your worship, he cried, before you turn, to help me into yon cork tree, where I can see better and more to my liking the brave battle you are going to have with that knight. I rather believe, Sancho, quoth Don Quixote, that thou art for mounting a scaffold to see the bull sports without danger. To tell you the truth, sir, answered Sancho, that squire's monstrous nose fills me with dread, and I dare not stand near him. It is indeed a fearful sight, said Don Quixote, to any other but myself, come, therefore, and I will help thee up. While Don Quixote was engaged in helping Sancho up into the cork tree, the Knight of the Mirrors took as large a compass as he thought necessary and believing that Don Quixote had done the same without waiting for sound of trumpet or any other signal, he turned about his horse, who was not a whit more active nor more sightly than Rosinante, and at his best speed, though not exceeding a middling trot, he advanced to encounter the enemy, but seeing him employed with Sancho, he reined in his steed and stopped in the midst of his career, for which his horse was most thankful being unable to stir any farther. Don Quixote, thinking his enemy was coming full speed against him, clapped spurs to Rosinante's flanks and made him so bestir himself that this was the only time in his life that he approached to something like a gallop, and with this unprecedented fury he soon came up to where his adversary stood, striking his spurs rowel deep into the sides of his charger without being able to make him stir a finger's length from the place where he had been checked in his career. 
At this fortunate juncture Don Quixote met his adversary embarrassed not only with his horse but his lance, which he either knew not how or had not time to fix in its rest, and therefore our knight, who saw not these perplexities, assailed him with perfect security and with such force that he soon brought him to the ground over his horse's crupper, leaving him motionless and without any signs of life. Sancho, on seeing this, immediately slid down from the cork tree and in all haste ran to his master who alighted from Rosinante and went up to the vanquished knight when, unlacing his helmet to see whether he was dead or if yet alive, to give him air, he beheld but who can relate what he beheld without causing amazement, wonder, and terror in all that shall hear it. He saw, says the history, the very face, the very figure, the very aspect, the very physiognomy, the very effigies and semblance of the bachelor Samson Carrasco. Come hither, Sancho, cried he aloud, and see, but believe not, make haste, son, and mark what wizards and enchanters can do. Sancho approached, and seeing the face of the bachelor Samson Carrasco, he began to cross and bless himself a thousand times over. All this time, the overthrown cavalier showed no signs of life. My advice is, said Sancho, that, at all events, your worship should thrust your sword down the throat of this man who is so like the bachelor Samson Carrasco, for in dispatching him you may destroy one of those enchanters your enemies. Thou sayest not amiss, quoth Don Quixote, for the fewer enemies the better. He then drew his sword to put Sancho's advice into execution when the squire of the mirrors came running up, but without the frightful nose, and cried aloud, Have a care, Senior Don Quixote, what you do, for it is the bachelor Samson Carrasco your friend, and I am his squire. Sancho seeing his face now shorn of its deformity, exclaimed, The nose. Where is the nose? Here it is, said the other, taking from his right hand pocket a pasteboard nose, formed and painted in the manner already described, and Sancho, now looking earnestly at him, made another exclamation. Blessed Virgin, defend me, cried he, is not this Tom Seashell my neighbor? Indeed am I, answered the Anos squire, Tom Seashell I am, friend Sancho Panza, and I will tell you presently what tricks brought me hither, but now, good Sancho, entreat, in the meantime, your master not to hurt the knight of the mirrors at his feet, for he is truly no other than the rash and ill-advised bachelor Samson Carrasco, our townsman. By this time, the Knight of the Mirrors began to recover his senses, which Don Quixote perceiving, he clapped the point of his naked sword to his throat and said, You are a dead man, Sir Knight, if you confess not that the peerless Dulcinea del Toboso excels in beauty your Casildia de Vandalia, you must promise also, on my sparing your life, to go to the city of Toboso and present yourself before her for me that she may dispose of you as she shall think fit, and, if she leaves you at liberty, then shall you return to me without delay the fame of my exploits being your guide to relate to me the circumstances of your interview, 
these conditions being strictly conformable to the terms agreed on before our encounter and also to the rules of knight errantry. I confess, said the fallen knight, that the Lady Dulcinea del Toboso's torn and dirty shoe is preferable to the ill-combed, though clean, locks of Casildia, and I promise to go and return from her presence to yours and give you the exact and particular account which you require of me. You must likewise confess and believe, added Don Quixote, that the knight you vanquished was not Don Quixote de la Mancha, but someone resembling him, as I do confess and believe that, though resembling the bachelor Samson Carrasco, you are not he, but some other whom my enemies have purposely transformed into his likeness to restrain the impetuosity of my rage and make me use with moderation the glory of my conquest. I confess, judge, and believe everything precisely as you do yourself, answered the disjointed knight, and now suffer me to rise, I beseech you, if my bruises do not prevent me. Don Quixote raised him with the assistance of his squire, on whom Sancho still kept his eyes fixed, and though from some conversation that passed between them, he had much reason to believe it was really his old friend Tom Seashell, he was so prepossessed by all that his master had said about enchanters that he would not trust his own eyes. In short, both master and men persisted in their error, and the Knight of the Mirrors, with his squire, much out of humor and in ill plight, went in search of some convenient place where he might searcloth himself and splinter his ribs. Don Quixote and Sancho continued their journey to Saragossa, where the history leaves them to give some account of the Knight of the Mirrors and his well-snout squire. Chapter 47 Giving an Account of the Knight of the Mirrors and His Squire Exceedingly happy, elated, and self-satisfied was Don Quixote at his triumph over so valiant a knight as he imagined him of the mirrors to be, and from whose promise he hoped to learn whether his adored mistress still remained in a state of enchantment. But Don Quixote expected one thing, and he of the mirrors intended another, his only care at present being to get, as soon as possible, plasters for his bruises. The history then proceeds to tell us that when the bachelor Samson Carrasco advised Don Quixote to resume his functions of knight errantry, he had previously consulted with the priest and the barber upon the best means of inducing Don Quixote to stay peaceably and quietly at home, and it was agreed by general vote, as well as by the particular advice of Carrasco, that they should let Don Quixote make another sally, since it seemed impossible to detain him and that the bachelor should then also sally forth like a knight errant and take an opportunity of engaging him to fight and after vanquishing him, which they held to be an easy matter, he should remain, according to a previous agreement, at the disposal of the conqueror who should command him to return home and not quit it for the space of two years or till he had received further orders from him. They doubted not but that he would readily comply rather than infringe the laws of chivalry, and they hoped that, during this interval, he might forget his follies, or that some means might be discovered of curing his malady. Carrasco engaged in the enterprise, and Tom Seashell, Sancho Panza's neighbor, a merry shallow-brained fellow, 
proffered his service as squire. Samson armed himself in the manner already described, and Tom Seashell fitted the counterfeit nose to his face for the purpose of disguising himself, and, following the same road that Don Quixote had taken, they were not far off when the adventure of Death's Cart took place, but it was in the wood they overtook him, which was the scene of the late action, and where, had it not been for Don Quixote's extraordinary conceit that the bachelor was not the bachelor, that gentleman, not meeting even so. Much as nests where he thought to find birds, would have been incapacitated forever from taking the degree of licentiate. Tom Seashell, after the unlucky issue of their expedition, said to the bachelor, most certainly, Senior Carrasco, we have been rightly served. It is easy to plan a thing, but very often difficult to get through with it. Don Quixote is mad, and we are in our senses, he gets off sound and laughing, and your worship remains sore and sorrowful, now, pray, which is the greater madman, he who is so because he cannot help it, or he who is so on purpose? The difference between these two sorts of madmen is, replied Samson, that he who cannot help it will remain so, and he who deliberately plays the fool may leave off when he thinks fit. That being the case, said Tom Seashell, I was mad when I desired to be your worship's squire, and now I desire to be so no longer, but shall hasten home again. That you may do, answered Samson, but, for myself, I cannot think of returning to mine till I have soundly banged this same Don Quixote. It is not now with the hope of curing him of his madness that I shall seek him, but a desire to punish him, the pain of my ribs will not allow me to entertain a more charitable purpose. In this humor they went talking on till they came to a village, where they luckily met with a bone setter who undertook to cure the unfortunate Samson. Tom Seashell now returned home, leaving his master meditating schemes of revenge, and though the history will have occasion to mention him again hereafter, it must now attend the motions of our triumphant knight. Don Quixote pursued his journey with the pleasure, satisfaction, and self-complacency already described, imagining, because of his late victory, that he was the most valiant knight the world could then boast of. He cared neither for enchantments nor enchanters, and looked upon all the adventures which should henceforth befall him as already achieved and brought to a happy conclusion. He no longer remembered his innumerable sufferings during the progress of his chivalries, the stoning that demolished half his teeth, the ingratitude of the galley slaves, nor the audacity of the Yangesian carriers and their shower of pack staves. In short, he inwardly exclaimed that, could he but devise any means of disenchanting his lady Dulcinea, he should not envy the highest fortune that ever was or could be attained by the most prosperous knight-errant of past ages. He was wholly absorbed in these reflections when Sancho said to him, Is it not strange, sir, that I still have before my eyes the monstrous nose of my neighbor Tom Seashell? And dost thou really believe, Sancho? said Don Quixote, that the Knight of the Mirrors was the bachelor Samson Carrasco, and his squire thy friend Tom Seashell? I know not what to say about it, answered Sancho, 
I only know that the marks he gave me of my house, wife, and children could be given by nobody else, and his face, when the nose was off, was Tom Seashell's, for he lives in the next house to my own. The tone of his voice, too, was the very same. Come, come, Sancho, replied Don Quixote, let us reason upon this matter. How can it be imagined that the bachelor Samson Carrasco should come as a knight errant, armed at all points, to fight with me? Was I ever his enemy? Have I ever given him occasion to bear me ill will? Am I his rival? Or has he embraced the profession of arms, envying the fame I have acquired by them? But, then, what are we to say, sir, answered Sancho, to the likeness of that knight, whoever he may be, to the bachelor Samson Carrasco, and his squire to my neighbor Tom Seashell? If it be enchantment, as your worship says, why were they to be made like those two above all other in the world? Trust me, Sancho, the whole is an artifice, answered Don Quixote, and a trick of the wicked magicians who persecute me. Knowing that I might be victorious, they cunningly contrived that my vanquished enemy should assume the appearance of the worthy bachelor in order that the friendship which I bear him might interpose between the edge of my sword and the rigor of my arm, and, by checking my just indignation, the wretch might escape with life, who, by fraud and violence, sought mine. Indeed, already thou knowest by experience, Sancho, how easy a thing it is for enchanters to change one face into another, making the fair foul and the foul fair, since, not two days ago, thou sawest with thine own eyes the grace and beauty of the peerless Dulcinea in their highest perfection, while to me she appeared under the mean and disgusting exterior of a rude country wench. If, then, the wicked enchanter durst make so foul a transformation, no wonder at this deception of his, in order to snatch the glory of victory out of my hands. However, I am gratified in knowing that, whatever was the form he pleased to assume, my triumph over him was complete. Sancho, while knowing the transformation of Dulcinea to have been a device of his own, would make no reply, lest he should betray himself.